The following sermon was preached in the Sunday gathering of First Baptist Church of Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. We pray it bears fruit in your life, and we hope that you share it with others who might also benefit. At the same time, if you're not already, we encourage you to join a faithful local church where you can sit under the preaching of God's word and observe the ordinances. Visit firstbaptistwr.com for more information. Our Father in heaven, we pray now this morning that your word would be living and active that it would be sharper than a two-edged sword, and I pray you would discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Please bless us now. Give us grace to see Christ and Him crucified for us, to attain for us every blessing. I pray in His name. Amen. So last week we took some time to dwell on one of the more dreadful attributes of God, God's wrath. We saw God terrifying in his judgments against sinners, holy and hot in his perfect hatred of all evil. We saw that it's because God is good that he must hate evil. And he will ensure every sin receives retribution from his hand. Either Christ will satisfy the justice of God in his wrath against you and your sin, or you will satisfy it for yourself in eternal torments. And everyone will get what they deserve because God is just and good. And you, on your own merits, are not good. God will gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now this Sunday we turn to more pleasant things. Thus far in this series on the attributes of God, we have seen that God is immutable, almighty, omnipresent. God is majestic, merciful in the spring of all goodness. We have seen God terrifying in his judgments, in his perfect righteousness and wrath. But today we look to God in his happiness, his blessedness. Now, it's summertime in Wisconsin, and if you're like me, you're sleeping with your windows open. Now, have you ever wondered why the first thing birds do when they wake up in the morning is sing? I've wondered about that. <laughs> do you wake up and sing every morning? Just get up and start singing? Some days I wake up with a song in my heart, some days I don't. But have you ever thought about God being happy? So many seem to think of God only in his anger. Jonathan Edwards, his famous famous sermon, it was not called Sinners in the Hands of a Happy God. It was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But if you search the scriptures carefully, you will find they portray a very happy God. They tell us of a blessed God, perfectly happy in himself, no lack of any good thing, no lack of any enjoyment, of every every last ounce of overflowing goodness in his divinity. He is a God who rejoices before the angels with glad singing. 
Scripture even says he rejoices over you with loud singing. Believer. So let's start with the first verse of our sermon text for today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The first word to our text today is blessed. Our God is a blessed God. That is a word we don't often use today. We don't enunciate it like that anyway. We might say we've been very blessed when we enjoy good things from God's hand. You might say he or she is very blessed to enjoy this or that good thing. He's blessed with productive farmland. She's blessed with a faithful, hardworking husband. But do you think of God as blessed? Scripture says he is. So what does it mean? To put it simply, to be blessed is to be happy. To be happy. To be blessed is to enjoy fullness of joy. It is not only to have all good things at your disposal, to be blessed with every good thing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, but it's also to enjoy every one of those good things, to rejoice in them, to have perfect peace and happiness. To be blessed with every good thing there ever was, there is, ever will be, forevermore. It's fullness of joy. And God is and was and ever will be the blessed God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that fills them. But if he is the blessed God, then he must have been blessed before he created all things. Creation can fill no lack in God, because if it could, he would not be God. He would be dependent on the creature, the creation, for his own being, for his own happiness. That's not a God. That's an idol. God is no better off for our existence. He would be no worse off if we ceased to exist. God does not depend on us for his happiness. The reverse is true. We depend on him for our happiness. We're like that baby bird in the nest in the springtime that receives good things from God in his gracious hand. God is the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now think of, imagine an earthly father who is not proud of his own son. How miserable of a father would that be? What good father doesn't have more joy in seeing his son learn and grow and succeed and have good success in life than he did in his own growth and learning and success? You rejoice in your children when you see them prosper and grow and sprout up. Is there a good father who doesn't rejoice more in seeing his son win that championship trophy than he did in his own victory? My son recently was in the pedal pole at the Rudolph tractor show. 
<laughs> and he got a red ribbon. I was really mad that he didn't get the blue, but uh, I was still very proud of him. And I think, I think he could have won, and he will next time. <laughs> what greater blessing is there to see children grow up and flourish as a parent? And yet if that's true, what father could be more blessed than the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? He begot the Son before time began, before there were galaxies and stars and planets, before there were storm clouds and rain and hurricanes, before there were trees and wind to stir their leaves and branches and needles to sing that soft and soothing sound to lull you to sleep at night. Before all that happened, God delighted in his son. Before the worlds began, before the mountains were brought forth, Psalm 90, verse 2 says, Or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Likewise, the ancient hymnist wrote of the blessed eternal Son in the fourth century, of the Father's love begotten. Ere the worlds began to be, he is Alpha and Omega. He the source, the ending, he. Of the things that are, that have been, and that future years shall see evermore and evermore. Now what son is happier than the son who enjoys his father's smiles? Who knows his father is proud of him and rejoices in him? What son is happier than that son who knows that nothing could ever separate him from the love of God? From the love of his father. There's no happier son than that. And what about that third person of the Trinity? In Luke 10, 21, Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit and he thanks his father for hiding the things of salvation from those who are wise and prudent in their own eyes and instead revealing them to little children. God is and was and ever will be that blessed God, happy in the fellowship of the Trinity. God is happy. He's always going to be happy. Nobody can change that. Even the raging of a thousand devils and vipers can't change that. They can't take God's happiness. He's sitting on his throne. He's blessed Psalm 37 says, The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. He will laugh at them. What evil do you have to fear today? God is on his throne. He's happy. All the raging of hordes and dragons and devils, all the vipers underneath the whole heavens, can't disturb the rest and repose of the Lord Almighty. 
1 Timothy 6.15 calls God the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. A few chapters earlier, Paul writes of the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which he'd been entrusted. Psalm 16, which we just read together earlier, says, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Forever. Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. God is happy. God wants you to be happy in him. Now, if God is happy and blessed perfectly, perpetually, and we're made in his image and likeness, now, shouldn't we be happy too? But when you look around yourself today, do you see a lot of happy people? I see some. I see your smiles. When you look around, do you see people who look like they wake up singing for joy, like those birds? There's much darkness and depression in our world today. Many are apathetic. Many are giving up hope. Satan has spread his twisted lies in his oppressive kingdom far and wide across the land. There have not been enough men willing to lay their lives on the line for the truth and the good. In our day, the sin of cowardice is commonplace. All evil needs to triumph is for good men to do nothing. But if we keep doing nothing in the presence of evil, we're going to have a hard time convincing anyone that we're good people. Church, we need to do the good works that God calls us to do. We should not be resting easy in Zion. We should not fatten our hearts in a day of slaughter. Satan's reign of terror has taken much ground. He's haunting many souls. Our educational system that was meant to build up young minds and teach them how to think, teach them how to achieve, it's become Satan's house of horrors. They're not nurseries for young minds. They're twisted hospitals that put young minds on a constant drip of bad medicine. They provide young souls with no sense of purpose in life. They burden them with discouragement and despair. One or two hours in a church on a Sunday doesn't make up for 40 hours a week in these places. And when we look out and we hear about kids using the litter box in the bathroom, 
because they think they're cats and we can't judge them, so we can't tell them that they're not cats. We have to confess that these places are becoming more twisted than Dr. Seuss's worst nightmare. Suicides are up, despair is up, it's hard to get ahead, it's hard to save money. Is there any way out for our young people today? Where do they turn to? How can they find happiness in life? I grew up on a 40-acre farm in rural Wisconsin. I had four siblings and a mom and a dad. My parents were innovative farmers. At one time, they owned and operated one of the largest pig farms in the state of Wisconsin, so I had that distinction growing up. When I was outside at recess, the kids wondered what the smell was. <laughs> when we had to spread the manure. That was, that was my family. <laughs> I was a good wrestler when I was a kid. I learned early on it felt good to win, and I won a lot. I got a lot of gold hardware in my closet at home. I worked hard. I tried my best. I went to church every Sunday at an old Lutheran church in an unincorporated township along the O'Connell River. I learned the difference between right and wrong. I memorized my verses. I memorized my books of the Bible. I memorized the Ten Commandments. I memorized creeds. I memorized portions of Luther's catechism. I qualified for state and sports. I graduated at the top of my class. Most probably would have seen me as a successful young man. He's going places. I had accomplished a lot of things in life. But one thing I couldn't figure out among the many things my education didn't teach me was the purpose of life. What am I here for? What on earth are we here for? I ask people, what is the meaning of life? What's the purpose in life? What am I here for? I asked adults. Nobody could tell me. I thought they were crazy. Are you out of your minds? You've been on this earth for decades. You're walking around like you've got something to do, like you've got some purpose to be about. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're on earth for. Are you insane? What is my purpose in life? What on earth are we here for? It's a question of cause. Why? I'm here today. You're here. Why? What are we here for? You got up, you got dressed, you chose to come here today. Why? I wrote my valedictory speech about what it means to be successful. I knew success couldn't be just finding that perfect career, earning a good living so you could just afford whatever you wanted, retire early, I knew that couldn't be it. It had to be more than that. I didn't want an easy life. I wanted adventure. I wanted to do some good in the world. I wanted to make an impact. But I didn't know how, and I was not happy. How can a person without purpose in life be happy? You're just wandering around. You're muddling around, staying alive because you know life is better than death. 
even if it doesn't always feel like it. If you're a teacher, you need to give students purpose. If you're a parent, you need to give your children a purpose in life. Without it, children will despair. In my last years of high school, my first years in college, I fell into deep despair. And day by day and year by year, there was no highs and no lows in my life. There were no joys and no sorrows. It was just flat, nothing. Just bone-crushing apathy. What is the point of anything? There were things I thought I liked for a while. Over time, even the things I thought I liked to do, I didn't like anymore. I didn't want to do them. I liked climbing mountains. I liked camping in the woods. I liked riding horses. I liked kayaking, being outdoors. I liked to make brain tan buckskin like Daniel Boone wore. The authentic buckskin. I spent a summer camping in the Maine woods with the moose. I wasn't happy in college, so I dropped out. I helped my parents start a goat dairy farm. I know, just one step up from the pigs. <laughs> um, and in my spare time, I was trying to teach myself to be a mountain man. I wanted to ride my horse out west. I thought that was going to make me happy. But none of those things made me happy. I just got worse. I had 300 goats to take care of by myself during the day. And that wasn't bad enough. They were having kids. They were reproducing. <laughs> Sometimes they dropped around 60 new kids in one day. I had to milk every one of those new mothers, uh, sometimes by hand. We weren't set up that well that first year. <laughs> milk them into a bucket, bottle feed every new kid, make sure they got that colostrum in their first half hour of life so they wouldn't get sick. My dad would tell me in the barn at night, I'm sure glad I'm not you tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Now, truth be told, I didn't want to be me either. Every time I read the Bible, I felt more and more guilt over my sin. I saw I could never keep God's commands. I saw they were impossible, and I hated him for it. And I was pretty sure he hated me. My life hadn't gone the way I wanted it to go. God hadn't given me everything I wanted, everything I had ever dreamed I thought the deal was I scratch God's back, he scratches mine, I do some good works, you pay me back with some good stuff. That's the deal. But that's not how God works. God doesn't make deals that way. He's God Almighty. He has his own purposes. He's sovereign. So I hated him. Death seemed better than life. I remember falling down in a dirty goat pen.
I felt like I just wanted to die. I felt like I was staring into the pit of hell. And I knew if I died then, I would go there. I knew I deserved it. And all that really kept me from ending it was that fear of burning forever. Fear of torment. If it wasn't for my sister sharing the gospel with me, I still might have gone. Church, if you know the gospel, you should tell other people about it when you have the opportunity. The whole world is in the lap of the evil one. People are dying. People are despairing of life. They see no way out. They're staring into the pits of hell in their souls, looking at flames leaping up to eternity. And they're thinking, that might be better than my life right now. The world needs the blood of Christ. The previous times enjoyed much better light than what we have today. What is the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism of the 17th century? First question of this catechism. It's not an obscure catechism, it's well known. 17th century. The question reads What is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the purpose of man's life? What on earth are we here for? First question. First question. Is that very question that so troubled my soul? What is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the chief end of man. Glorify God. Enjoy him forever. God is your purpose for living. He's the reason you exist. He's the reason you have a pulse right now. He's the reason you have breath in your lungs. God is the reason you exist. You are to find your happiness ultimately in God and in Him alone. And there's abundant happiness there. He is the source of all joy. Even the most drippy Eeyore in all the world surely has had a moment of joy in his life. And he should know that if he's felt one drip of joy, that joy had to come from somewhere. What did the early explorers do? When they found the mouth of a stream. They traveled up to find its source. Man is always seeking answers. Why? Why is this here? Why is this here? 
But people don't want to know today. It's no wonder so many are so unhappy when teachers are not allowed to speak about God, the blessed God of the Bible. How many hours of glory have been stolen? How many souls have been crushed to despair? How many have been prevented from hearing about our loving Father in heaven? What's worse is most of our pastors have neglected to teach people the weightier matters of the law. They've taught people to tithe mint and rue and every herb of the garden. But they disregard justice and the love of God. They strain out a net and they swallow a camel. Teaching true things about God in the Bible only gets you so far. Teaching the law of God only gets you so far. Teaching about righteousness, righteous rules only gets you so far. The fundamental problem in this town, the fundamental problem in this county, the fundamental problem in this state, this country, the world, the problem with your neighbor across the street, it's not an intellectual problem. That is not the fundamental problem. The problem is not that unhappy people don't know they should seek their happiness in God. It's not that they don't know. The problem is they don't want to know. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness, Paul says in Romans. The fundamental problem in human history is not fundamentally a problem of education. It's a problem of the will. It is a moral problem. It is a sin problem. Why are so many teachers and so-called preachers in this country belching out bilge water from the bottom deck of hell? It's not that they don't know better. It's that many of them hate God in their hearts. Martin Luther knew more about the law of God than any of us here before his conversion. He was training to be a minister. He was a monk. He spent years learning. He spent his days in study, quiet meditation, prayer on the word of God, the Christian tradition. He had great wealth of knowledge about God. Did that make him happy? Someone asked him, Brother Martin, do you love God? He said, love God? You ask me if I love God? Sometimes I hate God. Elsewhere, he said that if he could believe God was not angry with him, he would stand on his head for joy. Knowledge of the law is not enough to save anyone. Knowledge of God's righteous requirements is not enough to make anyone saved. It doesn't make you happy. It takes far more than that. Our sin is 
too great. The distance between God and man is too far. You can't bridge that gap by your own working. We can't ascend to God. God's arm is not shortened. Our arm is shortened. Our minds are unwilling to confess and to receive the great blessedness and happiness of God. It takes blood to bridge that gap. It takes blood to cleanse the wayward heart. It takes the blood of Christ to cleanse us from all sin. It's the blood of Christ that gives us grace to confess that we are sinner, to confess our sin in the light of that blessed and only sovereign. It's the blood of Christ impaled on that tree, like that serpent of old, who crushes the seed of that ancient serpent in our hearts. Christ left the blessed bliss of heaven in eternity past. The king took the form of a servant. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He became a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised and we did not esteem him. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ did not leave the bliss of heaven, the bliss of heaven, because he had to. He did not leave heaven because he was unhappy. He didn't come down from heaven to bear his own sins. Christ left that perfect happiness in heaven, the communion in the Trinity. Not because he was unhappy. He did it out of love. Because we had made ourselves unhappy in our sin. He bore our sorrows, he carried our griefs, he bore our sins. In his body on the tree, he nailed them to the cross. He set aside all those legal demands that stood against us. God, in his terrifying law, and those frightful judgments of his wrath, he set them aside. He nailed them to the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Look to Christ and be saved. Don't get me wrong, that blessed God in heaven is very angry with you in your sin. He's very angry. 
You have not been the son or daughter he always wanted. You haven't. None of us have. He's not been pleased with what you've done with that life that he graciously gave you. If we're honest, we have to admit we've sought our happiness in everything but him. Some would work their fingers down to the bone rather than give God their heart and soul. Some would crawl a thousand miles on their hands and knees across broken glass rather than give God their heart and soul. Some would spend a lifetime building a temple to God and dedicate it to him. As long as they didn't have to confess their sin and come to him by faith. Some would snort cocaine and drink themselves into oblivion week after week after week, knowing the whole time it doesn't make them happy, yet doing it again and again and again, while their body hates them for it, it rejects everything they're putting into it. They spew vomit over themselves over and over. How much louder could your body scream for mercy? Stop putting me through this torture. But you convince yourself it's a good time. How many people dishonor their bodies, revel in drinking parties and lawless idolatry, fornicate, commit adultery, sleep with another man's wife, because they think that is what will make them happy? Happy people don't sin. Sinners aren't happy people. It's the man whose heart is least happy in the Lord, who is most enticed and seduced into sin. But Christ is the vision which makes sinners happy. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Why are the pure in heart blessed? For they shall see God. It's not that you've had a pure heart your whole life, always, perfectly, perpetually. It's not that you've made yourself so happy in God and that's why you're going to see him face to face. It's that God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Believer, he's shown in your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The blessed God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 says he made us accepted. How? How did he make us accepted? In the beloved. In Christ. Every blessing comes in Christ. You don't secure them for yourself. You don't secure it by your own working. You don't secure it by shedding your own blood.
In Christ, every blessing comes. He has borne your griefs and carried your sorrows. By his wounds you are healed. If you're unhappy, downtrodden, guilty, sick with sin and iniquity, run to the blessed Christ. Believe in him. Believe in him. See what Father's smiles are yours in him, in Christ, in the blessed Son, that beloved Son, begotten of the Father's love before worlds began. Find joy unspeakable and full of glory. Obtain the outcome of faith, the salvation of your souls. 1 John 1, 6-9 says, If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sinner, confess your sin. Come to the light. It's not worth it. There's nothing there for you. Not in your own working, not in your own suffering, to pay for your sins. Believe in Christ. Receive forgiveness and cleansing. See the blessed Christ who makes men happy in him. Luke 15 says there is more joy before the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord, your God, in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Repent. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood makes the sorrowful happy and it cleanses us from all sin. Believe in Him. Let's pray. Father, give us grace to be happy in Christ. Make us partakers of Your divine nature through the cross and blood of Christ and for His righteousness. I pray that those here that we would be willing to confess our sin, trusting you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.